Hello and welcome to the Research Connection Podcast, the show that brings current expertise and cutting-edge research and connects it with users in the community. Yeah, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. We're talking today about bees. I'm really excited. My daughter recently read the Cheerios box. She's nine now, but this was quite a while ago. She was like, Mom, did you know bees are dying at an alarming rate? And so I was like, well, I, I do know that because I also can read the Cheerios box. But that's really the extent of my knowledge. I know very little about bees. So I'm looking forward to hearing more. Great. But uh, let's maybe introduce ourselves first. Would you like to start? Sure. Uh, my name is Deanna Smith, and I am an associate professor in the Department of English and Creative Writing. My name's Becky Lane, and I'm the admin assistant in the library and IT services, and I'm also a beekeeper. Mm-hmm. I am Jackie Kirk, and I'm the chair of leadership and educational administration and co-host of the podcast, and welcome. Yeah, thank you. It's exciting. And you also study bees and research bees, right? Maybe we should mention that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm working on a number of research projects around bees, but through the lens of literature. Uh, So Mm. a lot of my uh, experience with bees has nothing to do with real bees. Most of the bees (laughs) I encounter are in the pages of a book. Uh, And it is it is astounding how many books, um, articles, magazines, plays, movies, TV shows there are about bees. It's it's actually overwhelming and really exciting. Oh, I've read The Secret Life of Bees. That's the only book I can think of. <laughs> That's That's I really liked it though. Did you read that book? Yeah. 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 Well, I can give you a long list of titles. Oh yeah, I can expand. I know. <laughs> All right. So let's just dive right in. My first question is that we sometimes hear that bees are disappearing at alarming rates, as it says on the Cheerios box. So could you share a little bit about that? How do we know that? Any of that kind of information? Yeah, it's it's affecting the commercial industry quite prolifically, which is my background in different in different ways. Beekeepers come into their yards and whole hives are just completely gone and there's no real reasons. And it's very disconcerting because you you care for these animals. Right. And as well as they're your income, sort of a, a twofold there and they're completely gone. So it's it's. Um, a hot topic and an area of concern for everybody Mm -hmm. right especially even growing to the larger landscape of all pollinators yeah apparently um, monarch butterflies their populations have been reduced by 80 percent in the last few years is that worldwide or that's worldwide yeah Becky, will you go back and just talk to us more about your beekeeping as well? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I I grew up on a bee farm. My dad started farming when I was quite young, probably as early as I can remember. He did it as a second job and it grew into a, a full-time farm for him. He started with a few hives, grew into commercial operation with um, machinery, that type of thing. Over the years, we've sold, uh, he's sold rather, to different companies. Eventually, we got in with the Honey Co-op, which is um, out of Winnipeg, and it's local Manitoba and Saskatchewan beekeepers. And we sell our honey commercially uh, in retail outlets as Bee Made Honey. So that's supporting local producers. Over the years, I've kind of focused in little niche areas where I produced wildflower honey, borage honey, 
buckwheat honey, different kind of specialty honeys per se. I also did comb honey for a while, which was quite popular. But more recently, sort of tied in with our focus on, you know, loss of bees and loss of bee numbers and, and the growing interest in people getting into beekeeping, we've diversified into producing and breeding bees and selling as oh. to both hobbyists, people who just want to learn a little bit and and commercial producers so just kind of run the full gamut can people (laughs) like me like living in brandon is it legal to have bees in your yard (laughs) that that's a pressing question and one that i'm going to be taking to the city of brandon um i think becky and i have both looked very closely at the bylaws at the thousands of bylaws we can't see anything that prohibits beekeeping Nothing at all. Uh, but we want to be totally sure. Um, so at some point, yes. maybe this week or next, I have to give them a call and say, is this actually uh, possible? Or mm-hmm. are there, is there some hidden bylaw that, that I missed? Mm-hmm. And then you'll get back to us so that we can start our... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, <laughs> your, that's your business you now, is selling is. Yep. Like bees in a box or something. Yeah, I'm sure that's nooks. not what yes. you're calling yeah. Okay. Yep. Oh, a nook. A nook. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. A five-frame okay. nook is the technical term. term. (laughs) So what are, going back to that sort of the, let's say you're a farmer, you go in and you suddenly have lost all of your bees. Mm -hmm. Is there, do we know reasons why that happens? Like what are the factors that would cause something like that? There are uh, a lot of theories because it's, it's a really, really strange phenomenon because as far as I know, when these when bees disappear kind of en masse, they really do disappear. It's not like you can find a whole you know pile of bodies somewhere. They're just oh, they've just gone. flown away. They're yes, they're they're completely gone. Um, so there have been a number of of theories. Some of them a bit dubious. <laughs> Things like cell phone towers or even um, uh, air traffic mm-hmm. uh, causing bees to be confused. Uh, more common reasons given are certain pesticides. Also, sometimes. Um, of the over-specialization in agriculture, where you'll have, you, you lack variety in crops. So you'll mm-hmm. have just fields and fields and fields of a particular crop. And monocultures. There mm-hmm. we go. That's the mm-hmm. word. Uh, and that may also be affecting bee health. Yeah, I was thinking about this and and uh, the monocultures and lack of biodiversity affect the bees because even, I was speaking with my father who's been in beekeeping longer than I have, and we were talking about the changes that we've seen. and And the more variety that the bees have to forage from, the better they do, the more nutrients, the the variety that they have. And with monocultures, we're seeing, we don't even see the weeds. So we think of them as weeds, but to the bees, they're, they're a food source, right? And those food sources start early in the spring and run through the summer. But if you don't have those food sources, you're relying solely on one crop or one one plant that diversity is important mm-hmm. for many reasons so we're both from the education background so i'm just thinking about all the little children that i know that are just terrified of bees mm-hmm. so what would you say to someone who is afraid of bees i would say that by nature they're not aggressive and if you leave them alone they'll leave you alone <laughs> I, I think i heard <laughs> that when i was a kid <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I would be much more afraid of uh, hornets and wasps, mm-hmm. but but bees? No, mm-hmm. they they won't usually uh, attack someone unless they're very provoked. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. unless they're agitated. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, 
But speaking of education and children, the number of books that have been coming out recently for children and directing children to save bees, mm-hmm. right, with titles like You Can Save the Bees, uh, it's actually remarkable, right? Mm-hmm. All of this um, focus on children and the responsibility that they can have uh, to save bees. I don't know quite what I feel about that. I feel like that's a lot of pressure, but yet it's it's something that's definitely happening. I've been seeing it a lot through any kind of gardening sources mm-hmm. as well and about information about how to plant, you know, appropriate things in your garden mm-hmm. that would give the bees a place. And to... it's, it's amazing how that does help. We have yards of bees that are closer to town and it's amazing the difference you see in their production in the spring because of the fruit trees in town, because of the flowers. So you can only imagine the further expansion of that to pollinators, mm-hmm. to, to pollinators, Manitoba pollinators. So to have all those extra sources and resources. So even in an urban setting, I think we can help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, urban settings can actually make a huge difference, uh, especially if people are deliberately planting flowers, fruit trees, uh, things that will attract not only honeybees, but also native pollinators. Because in Manitoba, we have hundreds of native bees, yes. uh, most of them solitary. I don't think any of them produce honey mm-hmm. uh, on their own. But getting a kind of a diversity of, of bees, of butterflies, and planting things that are native to the prairies and native to Manitoba uh, is really important and really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that ties into the education piece too. Like we've seen like community gardening projects and things like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Brandon has actually become the first bee city in Manitoba. Oh, yeah. Tell so us you can, about that. What does that yeah. mean? So a, a city, a town, even a university or a school or a business can be designated as bee friendly. And it's, it's part of an organization called Bee City Canada. Brandon, I think it's been two years now, maybe a year and a half, uh, recently uh, attained that designation. Uh, there's a small group of, of um, volunteers who work on this committee. Uh, and what Bee City Brandon does is it encourages people to uh, be aware of pollinators, uh, to recognize them, to know how to help them, uh, and to provide advice about uh, planting gardens. Uh, we also look for new habitat space. Right? That's also part of the mandate. And I say we because I, I recently was allowed to join the committee, <laughs> which has been a real blast. Do you recommend all of their reading? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) So what would you, what can people do? We've talked about planting flowers and fruit trees. What other things could people do to protect bees? One thing that I've thought of is encouraging municipalities and provincial bodies not to spray ditches. There's a lot of um, native Mm -hmm. fauna, flora in there that um, are a good resource for bees. So there's a, a resource there that could be enhanced. Sure. Right. And, and something else that people can do individually, and this, this might sound like against all common wisdom, but don't clean up your yard in the fall. Because a <laughs> yeah. lot of bees, especially these solitary uh, native bees, they have to find a place to, to spend the winter. Uh, and they will find that uh, buried under leaves, uh, mm-hmm. in branches that have fallen in your lawn. Uh, so your neighbors might frown on you. <laughs> but keeping all those leaves on your lawn, uh, not cleaning up like twigs and, and cleaning out your garden uh, in the fall can make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Well, and the hot button topic is dandelions. They are one of the first, <laughs> the first good sources of nutrients for bees. Mm-hmm. So I think you can stand them. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and if you're worried about what your neighbors might say, 
B-City Brandon can provide fancy signs <laughs> that say this is a bee habitat. Uh-huh. Right. So you can reassure your neighbors that you're not just ignoring mm-hmm. your lawn. You're actually mm-hmm. doing this to, to protect some of our pollinators. Oh, that's fantastic. Are there any other Very final cool. thoughts about what we've talked about? Anything else? Thank you. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. thanks so much for being on our podcast. And Oh, I do have one more question. My daughter will want, will want to know this. What, what do bees do in the winter? Do they hibernate? They, it's hard to describe. They eat. They okay. in their box. They stay there and they stay warm and they eat. Okay. But they don't, how do they not freeze? They're so small. One way um, beekeepers test to see if their bees are alive without blowing in them to hear if they're buzzing mm-hmm. is using a heat gun okay. that uh, you can point it at the hive and the hive is warm. Like you can put your hand on it. Oh. They produce that much heat. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. And for me, the most amazing description I've ever read of bees uh, overwintering in a hive uh, is in this really strange but amazing book called The Bees. <laughs> uh, it's by Laylene Paul, uh, and it's it's written through the point of view uh, of a, of one bee yeah. in the hive. But it's really kind of dystopian, almost like Handmaid's Tale kind of oh, really? kind of a novel. I was totally oh. hooked. But the the way that it describes the bees forming a cluster and and staying warm and protecting yeah. the queen yeah. uh, during the winter was incredible. So I, <laughs> I highly recommend that one. It's not going to give you an accurate view yeah. of a hive, but wow, that description of, uh, of that cluster was incredible. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Research Connection podcast. You can visit our website for links to everything that was mentioned in the episode and for more Research Connection content at www.brandonu.ca slash bu-cares. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you can stay up to date with current research that impacts your community. Thank you.